Welcome to episode 604 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Welcome back, Richard. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you holding things down while I was in my crazy week last week. Uh, had more going on than I anticipated, so I'm, <laughs> uh, I am happy to join you this week. This This week I'm actually traveling, but I do have my mobile recording rig with me, and I'm doing this on the iPad, so we'll see how things go. <laughs> right, and that is why we don't have a live show this week. Yeah. So uh, we're... We're just, we're always more happy to just be able to produce a podcast that's always more important than the live stream or the video, as much as we uh, appreciate the the viewers for the live show and uh, on the YouTube. So uh, we're back and so is listener feedback. We've got a couple to read tonight. These were sent in to us at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. Yep. And I'll read the first one. Well, I'm going to summarize the first one because we get a lot of feedback and thoughts from Gary. And uh, this kind of follows up on the conversation that we had two episodes ago about universal remotes. Do you still need universal remotes? And he weighed in with some additional thoughts. He said that generally remotes with CEC only work well if all of your devices are the same brand, the TV, the soundbar, the AV receiver, etc. I'm going to pause there because this is one of three thoughts. And I want to respond to this because I would say that I would agree to that if your devices are not purchased within the last few years. I truly believe, and my own experience has been that in the last two or three years, compatibility and um, reliability of CEC across devices, regardless of manufacturer, is much, much better than it was before. Yeah, I, I would generally agree. I've been trying to experiment with this more at home since we had that conversation. It, it's a little bit harder for me to experiment with because my the, the devices that I've hooked up to my TV are, which is an LG OLED, uh, I have a Nintendo Switch, an Xbox Series X, and the NVIDIA Shield. And I'm you know regularly using uh, a Logitech Harmony. But the thing is, my Shield remote stopped working years ago, and I've never cared because I use the Logitech remote. So I don't, the, the only way that I would really be able to deal with the Shield is if I use the TV remote and like, I guess, selected the shield input, which I think would maybe work, but doesn't seem like the real way that most people would be trying to use CEC. They'd probably instead just grab the remote for their streaming box, turn Mm -hmm. on the streaming box, and it would turn on the TV to the right input. And so I think that would work, but I don't know yet. I haven't actually, I think I've tried it with my Xbox a couple of times and it's worked fine. It also works with the Nintendo Switch, which has been really, really nice. And so obviously all of those are from different manufacturers and it's been working out really well so far. And the other thing to keep in mind is that 
those streaming devices like the Google Chrome, and I'm not sure about Apple TV, but I think the Roku, they oftentimes have multiple ways of trying to communicate with the TV. For example, the Google TV remote, if you're not able to get the Google TV remote to turn your TV on and off and turn your receiver on and off and adjust the volume in the appropriate device all through CEC, you could also do it through IR from that same remote. And so maybe I'm a little bit, I don't know, spoiled by the fact that Google really did things right when they put together their simple little remote for the Chromecast Google TV device. And does that little remote have volume buttons? It does. It has a little rocker on the side. So you have volume control, you have power, it even has an input button. And you you can select whether you're using CEC or whether you're using IR for each of those independently. What I have found out is that that remote, both at home and here at the rental property, will turn on my audio system, the TV, and obviously the device itself, and be able to control everything the way I need to, and then turn it all off when I'm done. I mean, it's really good. It's good because I only have one device, right? Like if I added another device into the mix, that would make this far more complicated. (laughs) Right, right. Well, it does. But I think as long as that device isn't another streaming box, like if it's a game console, I think you're probably fine. Because one, why would you need another streaming box? Like I don't think most people have multiple streaming devices. You're kind of the exception there. Right. As usual. Um, but they are more likely to have game consoles. And if you just grab the controller and it turns on the game console and then right. the console turns on the TV to the right input and the TV turns on the sound bar or whatever else you need for audio, then you're good. And it doesn't yeah. matter that your Google Chromecast doesn't or whatever doesn't uh, turn on the, the Xbox for you because you did, didn't need it to. Exactly. And you just exactly described the scenario that I have downstairs in the rec room here at the rental place where I do have the the Xbox and we have the cable box. And last time I was here, I finally figured out how to get the CEC to control all of that. And that's because it, the receiver that I have down there has the ability to basically listen for audio from some source. And when the new audio comes where there wasn't audio before, it will switch to that source, which is kind of cool. That is cool. So, uh, so anyway, I, I, I think your mileage may vary depending on the age of your devices, the brand of your devices, and, and what you're trying to do and what all you're using. That, I think that's kind of the bottom line there. Now, he, his next suggestion is that if this isn't working, you could use the Broadcom RM Mini and program it for all of your devices. He does warn, though, that it regularly needs to be reprogrammed. I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here because I don't know what a Broadcom RM Mini is. Do you, Josh? (laughs) Well, he does provide a YouTube video that he made showing how to use one of these devices. It's basically, I think maybe the easiest way to describe it is to call it like a DIY Logitech Harmony. 
except with way more programming because it is a device that will, and there are two versions of this, one that's just IR and one that's IR and RF, but you can program this thing to listen to or or watch. I, I don't know how best to describe that, but the signals that your regular remote control can send. And so you grab your TV remote, program it to control this thing, and then using apps, or I guess I'm not even sure if it has its own remote control, um, then this thing works similar to like a Logitech Harmony hub and sends out those commands for you. But according to him, like regularly codes change or commands change and stuff, and he has to, at least while he was using this, every few months would need to reprogram something because it would just stop working. And for most families, that is an unacceptable solution. Yeah, yeah, that would not make other people in the household very happy, for sure. No. All right. Well, his uh, other thought we wanted to share with folks is that um, he also messaged us to let us know that he believes the best feature of YouTube Premium is music. And it's interesting that he raises this this week, because we're going to be talking about YouTube Premium again in just a bit. That's right. Spoilers. Uh, so let's move on to the last message, and that's from Larry, a very long-time listener. He says, I've been a long-time listener of this podcast, going way back to when Adam was hosting the show. So that's within the first hundred episodes. That's That was a really long time ago. He said, it was this show was the reason that he started using Windows Media Center. So he said, here's what's going on in my entertainment center. First, a little background. I built my first home theater PC in December of 2011. I eventually had three Windows Media Center PCs. I accessed cable TV using two HD Home Run Primes with cable cards. I also have a home a Windows home server to store recordings on so all the media center PCs could have a common place to store recordings and DVD rips. He uh, has Charter slash Spectrum as his cable TV provider, and he says, a little while ago, I heard Charter would stop supporting cable cards in the not-too-distant future, so I figured I needed to come up with an alternative to live TV because we still watch the local news. I heard about Hulu's special offer of a $20 a month discount for three months on their live TV plus Disney plus and ESPN plus bundle. So I signed up and a week later decided to end my cable TV subscription. Wow. Yeah. Consequently, I've shut down my media center PCs and the HD home runs and retired them. It's the end of an era. Oh, (laughs) it's been a while since we've had one of these messages. Uh, He continues. I now have three Roku devices. I'm now learning how Hulu on Roku works. It's not as easy as Windows Media Center. It seems to be show oriented instead of channel oriented. The options for recording are nowhere near Media Center, and there are many other oddities. I will update you in a month or so how things are going. Thanks for the fantastic podcast. Wow. Larry, thank you for the fantastic message. Uh, we like, it's always a sad moment when we hear of somebody shutting down 
another batch of Windows Home uh, Windows Home. Wow, media Windows Media Center PCs. Gosh, I can barely even say the it's name. It's been anymore. so long. It's been right? so long. You forgot what it's called. So long. But uh, it, interesting that he's made this jump. I also found it interesting that the main reason for this, the main reason that he had cable is local news. Like he did mention where he lives and he mentioned a city and I'm assuming he's fairly close to that city. So could he have just gone with an over the air solution and probably been a lot less expensive, but maybe he does actually enjoy all of the other stuff that cable TV provides. Well, right. And with these services, he gets pretty much all the other channels that he might've had through a cable package with the Hulu with live TV option. I think his observation about how these streaming services are more show oriented than channel oriented is right on the nose. And I think that's something that all of these services have struggled with. They're trying to kind of have one foot in each camp where they still provide a linear experience to some extent, but also try to help you discover the stuff that either you want to watch or paid sponsors want you to watch. And so they're kind of combining a little bit of both. I haven't used the Hulu live TV experience, so I don't know what that's like. But what I've found with Google's is that Google's live TV figures out very quickly and by Google's, I mean YouTube, Uh, YouTube TV learns very quickly what I like to watch at what times of day and surfaces those things at the top of the experience. And then if that's not what I want to watch, then I can flip over to the grid and go by channel the way I'm used to doing it. But it's really good at figuring out what I want to watch. (laughs) And that's impressive. And that's, that's not something that I think most cable TV providers are doing. And that sounds like a really great way to uh, kind of, like you said, to to provide both experiences of the show-oriented experience and the channel-oriented experience. Because whenever it is that Big Brother is on, that's what you're watching, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to just kind of reminisce about here. The other day, I was thinking about Media Center, and I don't know why. I don't know what brought it up. It might have been when this came in. It might have been because this message came in, and I read it, and I thought, oh. And thinking about it very seriously, I still don't believe that anybody has done it as well. I just don't. No. The one no, thing you're right. that others have done is helping you keep track of what you're watching and help you discover things that you might like. That's something that they never did in Media Center. But other than that sort of curated experience, as far as accessing different types of media across different types of apps, I still think Media Center had a better experience than anything else that's out there right now. Roku, Amazon, Apple TV, even Apple TV, yes. I I really do think Microsoft still did it better. Yeah, I I agree because it is a it was a more unified experience and but but the problem is that the way that we get our content now is so much different yep. that 
I don't think it's possible to to really make as unified of an experience there. Maybe with the exception of Google and Apple, because Google and Apple both have, well, but actually not even Apple because Apple doesn't have a a cable competitor solution. They don't have a live TV experience at all. Right. I'm shocked that they came out with a new device without introducing that. That's just bonkers to me. (laughs) So Google's your only option here because YouTube TV has the live TV experience. They have a a music subscription service. They have uh, a a movie rental and, and purchase system also. No one else has all of those things, right? Am I missing anybody? Microsoft no, was I on think the you're path. Right. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, you know, Microsoft isn't doing music anymore, but they still do have TV and movies for some reason. The Roku device doesn't have a music service. Apple doesn't have the live TV experience. Google. I think you're right. I think Google's the one that does it all. And, and apparently he's doing it all right. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> it is kind of surprising. It, it is. And and we're talking about them having, from a usability uh, experience at least, one of the best streaming yeah. hardware devices. Yeah. It really is kind of shocking that it it's Google that's doing this the best and, and has the, the most opportunity. They started. <laughs> right <laughs> it took a while but but they're getting there for sure yeah well larry thank you so much for allowing us to to go with you in that walk down memory lane and we hope that roku uh combined with hulu and the the extra bundle there works out well for you we look forward to hearing back from you it's been a few years since i've tried hulu with live tv also and i remember it being a very very weird experience so i i don't know maybe i should try and sign up for another trial or something to see uh, how much it's changed and if it is a more normal experience now but I it probably is know. because just regular old hulu is just a very generic looks like everything else experience now they mm. updated it again recently to remove the last vestiges of the cool design that they came out with that they tried to force on every single device. Right, right. Okay, so we'll, with that, we will move on to our news for the week. The news that we've been waiting, I think, months for it is from Netflix, and they announced their ad-supported tier. And with that, a, l- a little bit of extra information also. So Netflix has had multiple tiers for a while. They've been uh, they've announced months ago that they would bring in ad supported tier as uh, as they've seen their subscriber numbers uh, start to decline for the first time in like what did we say twelve years or something like that. Yeah, can and, can I can I just can I I, I want to just get something in right there. They had a decline. They had a quarter where they reported a decline, and of course the sky was falling. Um, for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> their their latest earnings call reported an increase again. So really? believe it or not, they're not dead yet. <laughs> well, we on this show, of course, never were predicting the, the death of Netflix. But at that previous quarterly earnings report, they 
expected to lose even more subscribers this quarter. So so the fact that you're telling me that they announced an increase in subscribers is pretty impressive. Yep. Okay, so they've raised prices this year. It's getting pretty pricey. I'm th- I think I'm paying $22 a month now for Netflix or something like that. And uh, at, to to fight the potential loss of subscribers and to hopefully gain more who aren't willing to pay nearly that much, they've finally introduced the Netflix Basic with Ads tier, and it's basically Netflix Basic, uh, you know the the lowest uh, possible option from Netflix, but with ads, and the cost is six ninety nine a month. That's three dollars less per month than the regular. Netflix basic account. What else is different and the same? Well, what's the same is it's still a 720p max resolution. Uh, It still doesn't offer downloading to mobile devices. It still only allows you to watch on one device at a time. Obviously, the main difference there is the ads. So how many ads are you going to have to watch? They're saying four to five minutes of ads per hour of content. So nowhere near as much as Paramount Plus. <laughs> also, nowhere near as much as you would get on broadcast television. Right. Yeah. Not even close. Like your average hour-long show on broadcast television is actually about 42 to 44 minutes in length. Right. And nowadays, an ad break is four minutes. So I... I I'm really impressed by this. I don't know what your thought was, but it seemed to me for a service that I was very dubious of, I feel like the the companies that are offering this are just kind of watering down their offerings. This seems completely reasonable and it's cheaper. They didn't do what Apple did. Or not Apple. Who was it that uh, just created a oh, Disney? Disney. Disney has the uh, same price you've always paid for the ad supported tier now, and you get to pay more if you don't want the ads. But <laughs> Netflix kept the price where it was and reduced the price for using this service with ads. I think this was very, very smart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I want to talk on the other part of this before I give my full opinion on, on what they've been doing. So the, the other part of this is. They've been talking about how they know how many people out there are sharing passwords and they want people to stop doing that. Obviously, it's against their terms of service and it costs them money. They want people to start subscribing instead of mooching off of their parents. So that's one of the reasons that we think that they've introduced the ad supported tier, get people to stop sharing passwords and just start their own for for a much cheaper cost. But the other potential problem with that is if you've been mooching off of your parents for years with your own profile, because Netflix allows five or six profiles or something like that, you might not want to give up all of the history that you've built up there. And so I think this is really smart. Netflix is has rolled out a profile transfer feature where you can go in and say, I want to take this profile here and create a new account based on it. And it copies everything, your recommendations, your watch list, your history, your saved games. If you're doing Netflix gaming, all of that just gets straight up copied to a brand new account that you start paying for on your own. 
And if for whatever reason you're, I'm just going to keep going to the to the parent-child relationship, your parents still want to watch the stuff from your profile, it's still there. It doesn't get removed. So it's around if you want it to stay there. I think this is fantastic. This is so smart. Yeah. I mean, what what they're really doing is they're going to ease people into this. They're not just clamping things down and say, you know, the heck with those people that were cheating the system. We know you're there. We're going to try and make this a little bit easier on you. Sure, you probably don't want to pay, but here's how it's going to go. I am curious how they are going to handle the situation where like, they know that the users are in a different area because they have a completely different IP address, but they're, it, which can map to a region. And then they're using the same account as, let's say, the parents because they're in college. Like, are, are they going to make people in the same family get separate accounts just because you're not geolocated together? I, I'm eager to find out how they actually implement this change to accounts. Yeah, and I'm not familiar enough with their terms of service to know if that's acceptable use or not. Because right. is it uh, truly like a family plan where you just have to be in the same family and it's okay? Or is it a household sort household. of thing right. where where they're kind of describing it more as, yeah, all got to be in the same building, folks. Right. I'm curious what it is they're going to crack down on specifically. So Yeah. Because how do you tell the difference between kids off at college for, for nine months out of the year versus they're 30 years old and they moved out a while ago and they barely even call mom, let alone go home and watch her TV. <laughs> and they know that too. No, just <laughs> right. I'm not sure. But the, the thing that impresses me the most out of all of this, and there, there's a lot here that impresses me, is how, and maybe maybe we should take this as a moment to point out that you are a Netflix shareholder. I am not. So people can take what you say with a grain of salt. I am not a, a Netflix shareholder. <laughs> Fair enough. And what what really impresses me here is how like human of an approach they've taken to this whole thing. Yeah. So many companies would have been having all of these internal meetings to find out who's sharing passwords come and maybe coming up with ad supported tier. And then in one fell swoop said, here it is, take it if you want it. And we are cracking down on shared passwords immediately. And instead they spent months saying, we know that this is happening. We want, we want to meet you in the middle here. So we are going to roll out an ad supported tier that will cost you less money. We are going to roll out this profile transfer feature so that you can easily migrate. And we're going to wait even longer to start the password sharing crackdown. Like they're, right. they've said that they're not really going to start that until next year. So they're giving you all of this time to prep and like, and to figure this out for you and the people that you're sharing with and stuff. And I just think it's a, a nice breath of fresh air to yeah. like acknowledge the humanity of people. And in, instead of just treating them as their wallet, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, totally. It It's, 
it's kind of the opposite of what you expect from a big corporation like Netflix. And maybe, just maybe, uh, they learned their lesson and are still licking their quickster wounds. <laughs> wow, it's been a long time since we've talked about quickster. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, why don't we'll we move on? Up for themselves. We have some Apple news. So why don't I do this one? While since you made about... me do the Apple news on my own last week, since I you were know, here. And I did want to talk about that too, but that's okay. So we, we have some uh, unexpected news from Apple. Actually, Apple announced this week that they're raising prices on pretty much all of their services. And of course, for us, we care about the TV and music streaming services. Apple Music is going to go up by a buck, which means it's going from $10 roughly to $11 roughly, which, check my math here, I think that makes it more expensive than all the other regular music services. Isn't um, everyone else still $10? I don't think that's the case for YouTube. Oh, well, let's talk about that in a bit. Exactly. Okay. So that's going up, but Spotify Premium is $10. A lot of other music services are $10 a month. So, you know, they're figuring they're giving you more, and they, they do have a lot more features. They have this whole spatial audio stuff. Um, they're adding a lot of videos to the service as well. So they're, they figure they're giving you more value there. They also talk about licensing being one of the things that's driving that. Apple TV, however, is also going up from the initial crazy cheap price of $5 a month to $7 a month. And this one may be hard for some people to understand because a lot of people look at Apple TV and say, well, there's not really a lot there. And sure, it's not anywhere near as sparse as it was when it first launched and everybody got it for free. but there are multiple, multiple award-winning, meaning multiple shows that have won multiple awards on this service. Ted Lasso alone, I believe, has won more awards than any other TV show out there right now. So they're cashing in, if you will, and saying that we believe we're delivering more value now. So it's worth more now, which is kind of bold. Yeah. Now, this is all part of these larger services that they have. So Apple One, for example, is now going to go up in price from $15 a month to $17 a month. That has the music, the TV, the arcade, iCloud. And the family plan is now going to be $23 for six users. And I believe they have an ultra plan that is also going up in price to accommodate the price increases in the media services. But overall, uh, a little bit of a bump on the Apple side. Uh, my disclaimer, I also am an investor in Apple. I don't really have too much of a problem with this either because I always felt that Apple TV was an incredible bargain as it got more and more good stuff. And there's no way I'm not paying to watch my Ted Lasso when season three comes out. No way. I'm really glad that that's where you ended this with, because I think that is the grossest part of this whole thing. Because 
I I agree with you that $7 a month for Apple TV Plus is completely reasonable. It is they have excellent content with Ted Lasso at, at the top of that list. What's gross about this to me is we have been waiting four months to find out when season three of Ted Lasso is going to launch. <laughs> Everyone expected it to be late summer or fall. We're halfway through fall at this point, and there's still not even a release date for season three of Ted Lasso. And now suddenly they're increasing the price. It feels to me like they are holding Ted Lasso season three until they can get more money out of people by increasing mm. the subscription cost. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. Um, I, I do I do find that I'm watching more than just Ted Lasso there, right? There's there's other shows that I'm enjoying. There are um numerous series and movies now that have been really good as well. Mm-hmm. So I it they they recognize that they're offering more value than what they were charging before, in their opinion. And so they're upping the price. And unlike how I used to uh, just get on Uncle Les's case over at CBS, <laughs> I, I do feel like this is worth it. And, and agreed. I do think it's worth it. And I, I think it's just the contrast of how I think Netflix was so careful to do things in a way that actually seemed to care about people. And Apple is like, I know how we can make even more money off of Ted Lasso. We cannot release it until we've increased the subscription price of the service. Yes. And from a stockholder's perspective, I say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. Well, let's jump into some audio news. The theme of the show here, folks, is everything is costing more. Apparently, inflation also comes to media services. Not really a surprise. This one with less concrete information, Spotify, Spotify is basically saying that they are going to be increasing the price of Spotify, but they haven't really said by how much. And Apple just made this a whole lot easier for them. It's going to be a dollar. Uh, hopefully, I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, come on. I yeah, I, I hope so. Um, but the yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I mean, I hope so. The uh, the other, uh, of course, thing that we've been waiting on with Spotify though is how about a hi fi plan? And Spotify has been doing a bunch of like user surveys and stuff like that to gauge interest in what people would be willing to pay. And a lot of that survey data makes it look like. The hi-fi plan could be coming soon at $20 a month, which I think would make it the same as Tidal and some of the other services that offer uh, you know, what, what you would consider lossless uh, audio quality. Actually, let me take a step back on that. Like It would make it the same price as Tidal, but Apple is now offering I was going to butt in and say Apple has lossless yeah. as part of their now $11 plan. Right, right. And I think Amazon does too, if I remember correctly. No, they charge you more for it. Okay. Okay. But it's not $20 a month. No. Yeah. All right. So Spotify increases probably coming next year, but you know, who knows? They could do it next week now. Apple gave them cover. So 
next week, more expensive Spotify and hopefully Ted Lasso season three. So, <laughs> but that is not even the last story that we have this week about the cost of services going up. Nope. We're just talking. That's all we're talking about. It's all about inflation <laughs> this week. <laughs> Until we get to the gaming section. But all right. So last story in audio. Uh, this is kind of an audio and video story, though. So we we mentioned that YouTube has a, a music streaming service. And, and I, I looked it up while you were talking. If you just want YouTube music premium, you're correct. It is $9.99 a month, just like Spotify and what Apple Music was. But the better deal, if you are a, a fan of YouTube music and you watch YouTube at all, and this is what Gary was, was talking about in his message that we uh, rudely cut so short, is that... YouTube offers another subscription service that is just called YouTube Premium. And there is a YouTube Premium family plan here. And what YouTube Premium family gives you is YouTube music and an ad-free YouTube experience, which like, I don't know, that that sounds like uh, paradise. Um the ability to download videos from YouTube, and uh, if you're on a, a mobile device, the ability to play music and videos either a, as background apps or with the screen off. Which, if you've just if you're just watching YouTube without one of these types of subscriptions, and you go to another app or turn your screen off, it stops playing. Oh, I, that to me feels like extortion. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. So the. Single user plan for YouTube Premium is still eleven ninety nine a month, but the family plan is the one increasing, and it is going up by five dollars a month to twenty two ninety nine a month. Starting this is also confusing for most people. It'll be starting November twenty first, but apparently for some longtime customers, they've received messages from YouTube that have said, "We really value you," so you're subscription isn't going up until april what do you think about this richard what i think about it is i don't get it i mean i just don't understand what's so special about the family plan the only thing that i can think of is that their licensing model is paying by the stream and with their family plan they're finding that their average number of streams isn't making up for the cost they're paying for people in those plans. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. The other thing that I think is that I'm, I'm, I can't believe that you don't like mid word ad rolls in YouTube. What are you talking about? <laughs> Ads have gotten out of control on YouTube. It is so bad. <laughs> I was oh. watching a travel video yesterday and there was an ad break at one point with two ads. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Second ad was nine minutes. <laughs> but you can skip it. You can skip it, but come on. Yeah, I've gotten some of those. They're nuts. <laughs> Have you ever watched them? <laughs> no. Has it worked? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I really do think that this is a service worth considering. Like if you have a family if and if you have kids and teens and tweens and you're not already 
like in Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, this is, I, I think it's the way to go because your kids are already watching YouTube. They are for sure already watching tons of YouTube. So if you could give them YouTube without ads and everybody gets a premium music subscription, yeah, it's more expensive than like a, a, you know, a Spotify family plan is $17 a month. Would I pay $23 a month if I could get Spotify family and no ads in YouTube? Yes, I would. Yeah. But I'm not switching to YouTube music at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, and I just, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I don't like the YouTube music experience. I had the three-month premium trial thing last year, and the YouTube music app is basically YouTube it's music tiles instead of videos and some of them are videos and I don't really like the YouTube experience. So it, it just didn't feel like a music app to me at all, but it, yeah. it is probably how people who went to YouTube to watch music interacted with YouTube. So it probably makes sense to them. I was never one of these people that went to YouTube to watch music or to listen. It's to because music. we're too old. Like yeah. all of the young people, this is how they listen to music now. Yeah. I don't understand that. <laughs> And I do, I do still use YouTube for some music, but only like live performances. I'm not just going to like queue up a playlist of an album on YouTube. That seems ridiculous. Right. I'll, I'll watch videos. Like I do have a playlist of favorite videos and favorite songs and stuff like that, but it's because it's the videos, not just to listen to some song. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah, I I don't like it enough uh, to to be willing to step away from my years of of Spotify history at this point. But man, ad free YouTube, whew. yeah, that would be nice. It would be really nice. It'd I have to really figure nice. out if I'm willing to pay twelve dollars for that. Yeah, and I could do just the the single person one, uh, um, and that would help most of our situations because like most of the youtube that my kids are watching is on the shield which is logged in as me so right yeah which oh just wrecks my youtube (laughs) suggestions oh i'm sure i'm sure yeah but you know that's that's life all right well let's move on to some gaming news and uh i I think this will be fairly short so there's a new set of gaming headphones from Razer that I think are kind of interesting. These are the Razer Hammerhead Hyperspeed earbuds. And I think that's oh my one God, of the I love more, the name. Uh, Hammerhead Hyperspeed. It's yeah, that's really awesome. long, isn't it? <laughs> um what I what I think is interesting is that these are earbuds to use with your Xbox or your PlayStation. And when I say earbuds, think AirPods, because they look exactly like AirPods, Uh, right down to the little stem hanging out of your ear that, I don't know, what are we, five years into AirPods, and I still think it looks weird, but maybe that's just me. Uh, So they have two different versions of these hammerheads, one that is designed to look more PlayStation-like, they're white with some blue accents, and one that is meant to cater to the Xbox crowd, they're black with green accents. There is a technological difference between the two, though, because the way these connect to your game console is through a USB-C audio adapter. And if you have an Xbox, there's a USB-A to USB-C adapter so that you can plug that in. 
But the difference is that on Xbox, Xbox requires uh, a security chip in uh, for for the for the wireless audio processing. So the Xbox version has that, making it work with the Xbox, but it also works with the PlayStation. So you could buy this and use it with both consoles. However, if you buy the PlayStation version, it doesn't work on Xbox. And they both cost the same amount of money. What? So unless you really hate the fact that the Xbox ones are black instead of white, or there is like no hope that you're ever going to buy an Xbox, it seems kind of ridiculous to buy the PlayStation ones. I don't understand (laughs) this strategy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised that the Xbox ones don't cost more because they've got extra hardware in them. Right. Or I'm surprised that the PlayStation ones don't cost less because they have less in them. I don't, I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. That, that part is weird. So these are, these are AirPod looking earbuds that are, are meant for gaming. And I, I think it's an interesting form factor because if you wear glasses, then like Richard does, then wearing bulky over ear headphones can get really uncomfortable after a while. Oh yeah. So earbuds solve that problem for you. I just have this weird mental block about using earbuds to play Xbox. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense other than I just have 15 years of history of using giant over-the-ear headsets for playing Xbox on. But That look like you're a sports commentator. Exactly, exactly. But <laughs> that's the other important thing. I've never, ever, ever in my life had a conversation, whether on the phone or on Zoom, with someone using AirPods where I thought, oh, that microphone sounds pretty decent. Yep. It just doesn't. True. I'm sorry. No. It just because doesn't. Because it's four inches away from your mouth and exactly. nowhere near in the line of where the <laughs> noise is coming out. Exactly. And and I'm not just ripping AirPods there. Like That's true for basically all earbuds because yeah. of the problem that, that Richard just said. So. For gaming headsets, they talk, they always talk a lot about how great the microphone is and how clear it is because having good communication between you and your teammates or whatever matters. It it does. It matters. And if you've also got kids and pets and other people in the house making noise, the people that you're playing video games with don't want to hear that. And earbuds just aren't that great at filtering that crap out. Uh, compared to having a boom microphone placed an inch from your mouth hole. So I don't know how well these are going to work from that perspective. But in terms of earbuds, they've got all the chops you're looking for. They have active noise cancellation because they're from Razer. They've got the ridiculous chroma lighting so that the little logos on the earbuds can light (laughs) up different colors if you want. And Despite the fact that they're wireless, it is a low latency connection. If you're if you're using the uh, USB audio adapter, the latency is between 25 and 35 milliseconds, which at first sounded like a lot. But then I started doing some research on other gaming headsets like from Turtle Beach and stuff. And in some cases, it's like a quarter like I like I saw one uh one of the more recent Turtle Beach headsets averaging 91 milliseconds of latency and 
that's noticeable. That's a lot of wow. latency. Yeah. Right. Right. So 25 to 35 is is pretty dang good. Um, they also do support Bluetooth if you want to connect them to your phone or whatever. And you get about eight hours of, of charge out of these. The imp- really important thing about it, though, is while they do have Bluetooth 5.2 and they have the separate audio adapter, if you pair them to your phone and your Xbox or whatever, you cannot use it for both things at the same time. You cannot be playing your game and having a phone call at the same time. And other devices, like that is becoming a more common feature uh, on, on headsets across the board. So for these earbuds that are brand new and cost $150, I think it's pretty disappointing that it doesn't support that functionality. Mm. I'm curious if you did get a call, would it just kind of take over the audio, which is what I have found happens with my AirPods when I get a call and I was on my computer, for example. It seems like it's most likely to do the opposite of what you'd want it to do. (laughs) 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 Now I'm just being a jerk there. Um, I, I would kind of hope that that's what it would do, but I don't know. And I don't think they're, actually available yet so there there aren't reviews to tell us yep. if if it does that so yep. but they are interesting they look nice but um like i i kind of want them just to see if i actually would like the idea of wearing earbuds on the couch while playing xbox it just sounds so weird to me and it which doesn't make any sense i'm just weird all right last gaming story and that is uh, a little bit of news out of Xbox as Phil Spencer was being interviewed. Well, nuts. I didn't write it down. It's for one of the big magazines, and, and I think in partnership with The Verge. And uh, he talked a lot about Xbox Cloud Gaming. And we got some interesting numbers. Apparently, Xbox Cloud Gaming has now been used by over 20 million people, which I think is pretty good. I'm curious what... Uh, what sort of impact to that number uh, we saw after they allowed people to start playing Fortnite through Xbox Cloud Gaming without paying for Xbox Cloud Gaming. Mm. Because otherwise, to, to play through through the library of Xbox Game Pass games, that is a $15 a month subscription. It's more than just Cloud Gaming, of course, for that that gets you the entire Game Pass library on consoles and PCs and Xbox Live Gold functionality. So there's a lot to it for $15. It's not just the cloud gaming, but I am curious what Fortnite, uh, what sort of impact Fortnite had on on those numbers. Also, some interesting news for, gosh, it feels like it's got to be two years now. Um, Microsoft has been talking about, they've been working on creating a standalone device that would function like a streaming stick, think like a a Roku, that you would plug into your TV, and its main purpose in life would be to give you that Xbox Cloud Gaming functionality. And Phil Spencer said during this interview, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We we gave up on that. We shelved that that, uh, idea when we started partnering with Samsung to build our software right into Samsung TVs. And it I mean, that makes sense. Like Samsung is still the number one TV manufacturer on the planet. And every time you and I talked about this, Richard, we wondered 
what else does this device do? How powerful right. is this device? Is it right. going to have a bunch of apps? Like, how how does this work? And now we don't, <laughs> they don't need to figure that out because they well, basically scrapped this. Yeah. And the other thing I think that we did also talk about when we talked about the Samsung deal is that it's now far less likely that they would come out with a standalone device because why would you if it's just software, if all you need is software to pull this off? And I would believe that Samsung is the first step. If they're confident enough that they're going to shelve the idea of any hardware for this, then that suggests to me that they're working on deals with LG Maybe with Sony, that one's a little bit harder <laughs> to imagine. But, you know, some of the other brands that you're seeing uh, in the U.S. as well, like Vizio and maybe TCL or something like that. Yeah. If we were doing a CES prediction show right now, I, I would absolutely peg that at CES, at least LG, if not one or two other manufacturers, announces that they have this functioni- functionality built into 2023 model TVs. Yep. But Phil Spencer did say that they're not ruling out the possibility uh, of making a hardware device in the future, but that if they were to do it, it would be years away. Which, frankly, just in my opinion, makes no sense. Because I think the further we get away, the more you're going to be able to not need hardware. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that's it for our news this week. Richard, what has been going on in your entertainment center over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so it's been kind of a mix between being at home and being out here. And um, I have continued to watch some of the stuff that I've been watching, like The Amazing Race at Lower Decks. I finished The Boys Season 3, finally. Wow, that show, um, so violent. Still a good story. It is really preachy this season. And I noticed this as also I was watching, I forget what I was watching last night, but uh, watched something last night that made me think, you know what? I'm really tired of stories being told, oh, on the Orville, uh, of stories being told that are clear and obvious parallels to the political turmoil and discord that we're seeing in the United States and other places in the world, just kind of shrouding as this story happening in some other planet or this story happening in some other context. It's it's getting old. So I hope we don't get too many more of them. That's pretty much what the boys seemed like most of the season, unfortunately. Uh, New Amsterdam has started and I am behind on that. This is one of my favorite feel-good shows. I have confirmed through multiple sources, that this is the final season. I am not declaring it dead before it's time now. This is the final season. I am not even going to begin to predict how many episodes it has based on what I've seen so far, because I just won't believe it until I see it. I am still watching Bob Newhart. Lord of the Rings is so good. We're still watching a few episodes of that. House of the Dragon That's the latest Game of Thrones show just finished. It had an amazing penultimate episode. And I would argue that the show that we did on Let's Talk About Thrones to talk about that penultimate episode was a lot of fun. 
Then it had a kind of disappointing season finale in the spirit of how Game of Thrones works. So (laughs) we didn't really have that great of a finale episode for our podcast for this season because it was such a downer. It just really was uh, not what you want from a season finale, but we should know by now that's how this works. And then finally, I have had plenty of time to listen to podcasts and I have also then had time to continue and almost finish the Steve Jobs book. And by my drive back home from being out here this week, I should finally have that completed. I haven't picked what I'm going to read next or listen to next. I have to do some research there. Awesome. Very cool. Well, mine is uh, a significantly less interesting list uh, <laughs> since we <laughs> since we finished um, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Jen and I have not picked up a new show to watch together, uh, which generally means that I haven't started watching anything on my own either since I don't do much of that anymore. In terms of video games, I've pretty much only played the new NHL. You know, I actually... A small correction, there is something that I have started watching. Um, I'm going to have to look it up here. It is on YouTube, actually. Uh, I don't know if this is more of a kind of bootlegged to YouTube sort of thing or or what. Um, it, It might be, I think this was a BBC documentary series or something like that. Um, it's called The Troubles, A Secret History. If you're not familiar with what the Troubles huh. were, it's basically describing uh, the conflict between Northern Ireland and England uh, oh, and wow. you know, the rest of Ireland. So like the IRA, like if you just say the yeah. IRA, then, then everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? Um, and so it's like a seven or eight part series. Um, going really in depth on on that it was suggested to me by a friend of mine from northern ireland um he sent it to me and so i'm like two and a half episodes into that so far and it has been pretty interesting if you're into historical documentary sort of stuff that sounds really good i've always wanted to better understand that because i just grew up kind of knowing that the ira was this terrorist organization that they were dealing with all the time. And I didn't really understand any of the history behind how all of that came to be and why it was perceived that way. Right. Right. Because the way that you just described it is how most Americans learned about it. Like, right. I've only, only ever heard of the IRA as described as a terrorist organization. And as, as I was watching the the most recent time I was watching an episode, I thought, you know, this really brings home uh, the statement that the same group, depending on what side you're on, can either be viewed as a terrorist group or freedom fighters. Yep. It, it's all based on your perspective. And I've learned a lot through this for sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 won't, I won't really go any deeper than that, especially to, to get too political about that. But it's been really, really eye-opening. I've learned a ton already. So, yeah, so I've been watching that. Um, and I did just start a, a new book. It, it, it's uh, a book called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Um, and it's not going to be a book for everybody. Uh, this is a book about racial reconciliation within 
the American church. So um, a pretty, pretty specific topic there, um, but comes pretty well recommended. Seems like a, a pretty good book on the topic. So wanted to, to learn more about that. So cool. That's it. That's it for me. So if you'd like to get a hold of us, uh, send us some feedback for a future episode or just interact with us online. We're on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at DigiMediaZone. You can get all of our show notes with links to everything that we talked about over at our website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can also find Richard's other show, Home On. And he actually released the episode that I've been giving him crap about releasing. Literally hours before leaving to come back down here, because I knew (laughs) that if I didn't get it done before I left, I wouldn't get it done for another week or so. So yes, I did get that out. And it was it was a hard edit for me because my guest, a HomeKit developer, Matt Corey, he and I spoke for well over an hour and a half. And he was really, really interesting. And I had to cut it down to keep it under an hour. And this guy, this guy should be on radio or be a podcaster himself. He has an amazing radio voice. But we had a, a good conversation. And I think if you're interested in HomeKit stuff and interested in lighting, oh, yeah, both of those I'm really interested in, then you <laughs> might also like this. And I, I the, one of the other things that surprised me about this is he, so this is a podcast where you interviewed a hobbyist app developer. And my first thought would be, this is going to be painful to listen to. Like software engineers aren't generally great at <laughs> at interviews at all. Um, but this oh, no, guy, not at in all. addition to having the great voice, he talks so well about this stuff. And he has uh, really cool stories about use cases that people have come up with that are like actually life-changing uses for smart home technology. And I absolutely loved this episode. It, it's just it's great smart home stuff. It's great content from a hobbyist developer who's doing good work and finding success in that. I, I liked this one a lot. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was it was fun to do. Thank you. Yeah. So you can find that show, this show, all of our shows over at the digitalmediazone.com where we also host the show live when we do the show live, which as you can tell is not every single week, but we try to do it Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on Twitter to know for sure when those live shows will be happening. But that's going to do it for episode 604. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.